Welcome to the Black Magic Collective podcast presented by Black Magic Design. This podcast is made by filmmakers for filmmakers. Join at blackmagiccollective.com to enjoy free membership and all that comes with it. Now, on with the show. I want to bring up um, our new Wilmington chapter and chapter lead. Uh, can you please throw Kate up for me, Harley? Hello. Hey. So, hey, this is Kate Hinshaw. Know this face, know this name, especially if you're in the Wilmington area, because with all going well and COVID deciding to be nice, play nice COVID, we will um, be doing live events at some point and having everybody come out and actually meet in person. And Kate will be doing that. Kate, what made you jump on and decide to lead this chapter? Um, you know, there's a lot of production going on here in Wilmington and I, I have a really passion for um, Southern filmmaking. Um, I'm born and raised in the South. I've lived all over, but I keep uh, I keep trying to escape and it keeps calling me back. So um, just being here, I think I just really wanted to find a way to support indie filmmakers in particular and people. In I really South. love that you are calling out another like a place where films are actually happening. I think that everybody is looking for that new place to go to get away from L.A. And so it's nice to hear that there's another place. And you guys are like, are you am I wrong? You guys like Oceanside or lakeside or there's like yeah yeah we're we're um right by the ocean so it's, it's not a bad place to be <laughs> love it all right i am gonna hand it over to you have a great time and everybody enjoy your southern women of indie film all right um thanks so much for joining us for this is our first ever black magic uh collective wilmington event um and uh really excited to have everyone here and i really want we really wanted to kick things off um speaking to uh women identified and non binary um, filmmakers, Southern representation, um, Seed and Spark, and, you know, crowdfunding outside of maybe a traditional New York or LA Hollywood structure, um, and, and just the indie hustle in general. Um, because, you know, if you've ever had to crowdfund or make an indie film on a micro budget, you know, it, it's not always easy. Um, but uh, with that in mind, I'll kick it over to Bloom and Anna Ray, who will be moderating this event. Um, so if we can get them, yeah. Hey, everybody. Hi, hi. <laughs> so um, I wanted to kick things off by just doing another little introduction. First of all, I'm Bloom. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. Um, I'm a queer non-binary filmmaker. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina currently. Um, and I'm actually working on a film right now with Kate, as well as one of our other panelists, Tiffany. Um, the film is called Keepsake. And we're going to be talking more about it some today in the panel. But I wanted to point out that Keepsake is a production that is being put on by a collective that we have just started here in Wilmington called the Lunar Kitchen Film Collective, which is just a group of women, non-binary filmmakers that are just telling stories to ex express like the crazy world that we live in and stuff. So we're really fresh and we're really excited. So I wanted to go ahead and introduce my good friend, Anna Ray, who's my co-moderator. We used to work at Kukaloris together, which is where we met, and we have become the best of friends ever since. So, Anna? Um, my name is Anna Ray. I um, am also based here in Wilmington. Um, I use she, her pronouns, and I am the founder and the creative producer for Portrayed Productions, which is a, a production company that highlights Black stories and especially Black voices in the Southeast and the Afro-Southern experience. Um, I'm currently working on uh, a web series that I'm about to go into crowdfunding for in the next couple of months called Who's Your People? Um, with a couple of other Black Southern filmmakers in North and South Carolina. 
Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to kind of jump into uh, talking about filmmaking in the Southeast and what that experience is and kind of like the indie um, atmosphere around it. So um, I'm excited to be talking to Cade and we also have Tiffany and Erica and Ebony and Christy and it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good conversation. So yeah. yeah, why don't we go ahead and get the rest of the panelists up on the screen. Hello, ladies. Hello. So um, before we start, I wanted to do quick little introductions just so that everybody knows where everybody else is from, what they're working on, things like that. Um, we already met Kate. Kate's, like I said, she's working on Keepsake alongside Tiffany and I, but Kate's also actually working on her own um, very early in development documentary about trans and non-binary documentary filmmakers. Um, so that's a little bit about Kate. Next, I'm going to talk a little bit about Tiffany, who again is working on Keepsake. Um, Tiffany's located in Greensboro. And um, just to give a little bit more background on Keepsake, it's a queer feminist horror film that's going to be set in the Appalachian Mountains, and we are very excited to be creating it. Um, oh, in addition, Tiffany also um, heads the Queer Fear Film Festival, which I believe is having submissions open right now. So if you're interested and you have something that's queer and horror related, absolutely submit to the festival. Um, so yeah, and then after Tiffany, I wanted to talk to, oh my goodness, excuse me. I wanted to introduce Erica and Christy. Um, everybody knows Erica and Christy from Honeyhead Films and Honeyhead Films is very successful student spark campaign that they just wrapped, which of course we're gonna be talking a little bit more about. Um, and they are of course located in Wilmington, North Carolina. And finally, we have Ebony, who, Ebony, you were like one of the only few people on here I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, so I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit more on the panel. Ebony's from Atlanta, Georgia, and Ebony also had a very successful Seed and Spark campaign for her film, Jordan, which um, is a genre fantasy, and as she said, cli-fi, or climate fiction, to shape a fairy tale where everyone has agency and representation. Very interested to hear more about that one. Same. So yeah, now that we know a little bit more about all the panelists, um, we wanted to go ahead and start by saying, um, or asking just a general question, just to kind of like get a feel for the room, start everything off, and then just as a reminder to everybody, if you have any questions for the panelists, please leave them in the chat, because we want to be sure to include all of you in this discussion as well. Um, but one of the first things that we really want to get to the bottom of is, who is the voice in your filmmaking for each and every one of you? Do you think it's a group of people? Do you think it's you who's the voice in your filmmaking? Um, elaborate. I'm gonna start by throwing it, I suppose, to Kate, so. I think it's all the voices in my head just coming together at once. Uh, no, my work tends to really, um, I, I really think a lot about the, the saying, you know, the personal is political. I think my, my work really comes from a very personal place. Um, and it, it's, filmmaking has become how I express myself um, or how I, survive i guess um and so i really always approach things just it's it's a very like me perspective I, I think and then kind of use that to um kind of reach out and connect with others um but yeah it does sometimes it feels very chaotic in there <laughs> tiffany did you want to talk a little bit about who the voice is in your filmmaking i know that you are like a director and a screenwriter so you have plenty of voices i'm sure I do. And it's interesting. I always tell myself that I am, you know, creating characters and stories and, and, and none of it has to do with me. Right? <laughs> and then there, there always comes a point where my collaborators are like, 
yeah, I really saw you in, in such and such scene. And I was like, oh, really? And and then, you know, it comes flooding in like the self-recognition. But I, I at least start feeling like I'm, I'm trying to tell a, a story that is um, uh, someone else's right? Um, it, usually a queer woman, right? That tends to be the the area that I hang out in. Um, but good writers and good directors know that you have to be able to connect to your stories, right? So you're inevitably going to find something in there in your own identity or in a community that you feel connected to. Um, and that's what draws us to those stories. Beautifully said. Ebony, did you want to talk a little bit about the voice in your filmmaking? Um, I think I'm similar to Kate. It's probably like a, a mixture of all the voices in my head, but a lot of my work I think pulls from um, ancestral places. So mm -hmm. I like to think that like spirit is speaking to me, the ancestors are speaking to me and the things that stick are, are what I'm supposed to be writing about or what, what I'm supposed to be doing at that moment. Mm -hmm. Sort of like divine interference. I love that. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> Erica and Christy, I know you guys work together a lot, but did you both want to answer this question or? Yeah, I'll start. And then Erica, I'm sure you'll have a lot to add. Erica's our screenwriter at Honeyhead and we're, we're a collaboration. So we're creative partners and have been working together for the last maybe five or six years. And we have a really interesting dynamic because most of the time Erica's writing uh, for an actor. And a lot of times that actor is me I'm, as well as a producer. I'm an actor. Um, and the project that we'll probably focus the most on today is this, is a film called A Song for Imogene, which she wrote with me in mind. And we, you know, have been collaborating on these characters and they're highly personal. But I would say that Erica has this really unique way of taking like random bits of an idea and then turning it into like pure brilliance in the screenwriting process. <laughs> like, for instance, we're also, you know about to shoot a narrative short film, I just came to her and said, I want to play a sarcastic pizza delivery girl, like take it and run with it. And she wrote this sci-fi comedy that we're going to put up in a couple weeks here, right before imaging, just because we're like itching to be on set. So Erica, take it away and like, tell them about your process. But she, we really like have this bounce back dynamic, which it, it's really nice to have a creative partner like that. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like there are characters, I love writing for actors or for, you know, people um, when a character isn't already in my head from, from a person I'm writing for. A lot of times they do have fragments of my myself or my personal experience or experiences of people close to me that I feel like have impacted me in a really significant way. So family members or friends who are close to me who have had experiences that I feel empathy towards and I want them to be, and I want to explore them more almost as like a catharsis for myself and for them. Um, so that's a lot of times where it happens, but it could come from, you know, a song I hear and then I imagine a scene and then I start writing it. So really the influx can kind of come from all different sides, um, like, or an idea Christy had, I want to play a, an Aubrey Plaza type pizza delivery gal. And I was like, got it. Now there's an alien in it, and it's also like a heartfelt femme-driven piece. So it's like, you know, it, there it can come from anywhere. Um, but I always like to focus on some kind of cathartic experience for the audience. I hope that people come and watch anything that we put up and walk away with a greater understanding of themselves or someone else um, and a greater empathy for just the world around them. That's what I always hope 
that our work will do is create empathy for the human experience kind of across all different types of folks. Perfect. Speaking of all different types of folks, one thing that definitely unifies all of us is that we are all located in the South. Um, and as the Black Magic, um, Black Magic Chapter Collective was just talking about, there's a lot of stuff happening right now in the South. Um, so one question I did want to ask specifically to the folks that are in Wilmington is, what made you decide to come to Wilmington specifically? Was there something that was drawing you here that was different from LA or New York or Atlanta even, or like what has like kept you here and what about the Southern lifestyle has made you stick with staying in Wilmington? And to piggyback off of that, what does being a Southern filmmaker mean specifically to you? And how does the South play a character in your work? I've, I've been reflecting on this a lot lately because the, the feature that Eric and I are producing is really unique to this area. It's set in rural North Carolina. So there's not a lot of other places this could be filmed. And I grew up in a town similar to you know, the character that I'm portraying. And I have lived in LA, I have lived in New York, I have lived in Atlanta, and I have this kind of like unique wanderlusty story that led me to Wilmington. And to be totally honest, what, what um, created an opportunity for me to root down here was meeting Erica and having that partnership and realizing that there's like a creative element where you can tap into something and like plant roots somewhere and build something because otherwise it was like running and chasing opportunities for me. I felt like Wilmington in particular, my, my soul was really happy here and the community is pretty tight knit. It's pretty small. I feel like even if you don't know each other well, you're aware of people and you're familiar and friendly with them enough where it can it can feel like a place where you can build community. And that's always been important to me. Um, yeah, I, I forget the second part of Anna's question, but that, that feels kind of like my general answer to that. I think it pretty much answers it. Ebony, I know you're in Atlanta, so can you elaborate on how, what the South means like for you and how that plays a role in, in the work that you do creatively as an artist? For sure. Um, when Andre Three Stacks said the South got something to say at the Source Awards, I legit thought he was talking to me, like no lie. Um, I took it personal um, and I, I hold that to my heart in the way that I work. So I could be anywhere and do this work. I can go to New York, I can go to LA. Um, some days I think like it's hard doing it down here just to be very honest with you. Um, but the stories that I tell are so specific to the South. Uh, like I said before, so ancestral. It's so much ingrained in the red clay of where I'm from that the breadth of the story that I tell, I, I feel like I have to be anchored here. Um, another part about that is I feel like I deserve to tell stories where I'm where I'm planted. Like I deserve as a Southern filmmaker to not have to export myself to another city or another state that's not familiar to me, that feels out of my comfort zone. I, I don't have community. Um, I can't have my family's cornbread. Like those type of things matter to me. Like I, I need that. Um, and I think it's so important to the work that I do. So I think just being a Southern storyteller for me just means kind of sticking myself in the red clay and saying that I'm going to tell stories here no matter how hard it gets. That's, that's honest and it's true. And I, I, I resonate with that a lot mm. um, just in my work as well. 
Um, Tiffany, uh, I'm curious to hear your answer to, to filmmaking in the South. Yeah, I definitely also really resonate with what Ebony is saying, right? Like, I, I think in some ways it's it's incidental to my filmmaking sometimes that I'm, this is where I am, right? And I would make work wherever I lived. But the funny part of that is I actually did live in New York and didn't make the same kind of work, right? I made work that felt much less personal to me because it often wasn't my work, right? Like, the you just get involved in, in sort of these big communities and, and there's always something going on. And so you're like breathlessly running around trying to keep up. Um, and, and then you get home and you find that you have no energy to like pour back into yourself. Um, so when I moved back to the South uh, to be near family, right? Like that had all of its own uh, wonderful, like comforting things to it. And then realized that I just had like this creative wellspring in me that was ready uh, to to overflow. And then the challenges were like, crap, there's like no infrastructure here to like support me in this work, but but that's okay, right? Because the work is also uh, the thing that gives me energy. So like it keeps me going even when it's hard. For sure. Okay, do you have any answer? I'm sorry, Bloom, continue. No, you are good. I, I was actually about to ask Kate if she had an answer. So yeah, we're on the same page. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Yeah, this is, I mean, everything y'all are saying I, I resonates with me. And this is something like Ebony and I talk about like a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, a big reason why I moved to Wilmington, um, just to be transparent, was because I, I got a job teaching at the college here um, at UNC Wilmington. Um, and that was a sustainable way for me to be able to be a filmmaker. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I think if I count all the places I've lived, I've lived in New York, London, Sao Paulo, Boulder, Atlanta, and now Wilmington. So I've, I, I'm not kidding when I say I can't escape the South, I keep coming back. But I, I began to notice like, when I would fly back home to Atlanta, I would get this like surge of energy, like I'd be on the plane, like, okay, I'm ready to like, you know, organize and create things. And, and, and you know, like that community is, is really what does it. Because it's not Atlanta, right? Like, it's the community. <laughs> like, it, it's the infrastructure, like in New York and LA is so much better and I'm, I'm sorry I'm not sugarcoating it but like it, it is and but it's like it's literally like the conversations Ebony and I have had in in her living room about indie film it's it's you know the kind of organizing and, and the creating work um that really keeps me going and it's the affordability I I've got to a point where I was like I want a house <laughs> I want like a backyard you know um and, and that, to have that space both for myself but also to be able to like rent a studio to shoot in or, and not have to like lug gear up a, a six um, floor like walk up in Brooklyn. Like that to me means a lot. Um, and I realize that's probably like probably angered a few New York people saying that, but um, it's really to me, I, I think you should be able to create work wherever you want to create work. Um, and for me, that's uh, here in the South. So. <laughs> I have a question for anyone. Um, what is one misconception that you think people who aren't Southern filmmakers or from the South have about either Southern artists, Southern filmmakers, or this, the actual work that happens here? What's a misconception that people get wrong when you hear the, when they hear the words Southern filmmaker? I have some thoughts on, on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that just being a production company here, we have a lot of folks from out of town who often come to us for resources. They're just interested in producing a project. And I think the the general conception is, well, but do you have crew? Do you, 
do crew lives here? Does crew, do people exist in, you know, in the South that, you know, or in Wilmington that are, you know, talented? Is it a viable market? Like people don't understand that there's like a pretty healthy film community here. So that's always interesting to educate people and invite them in and say, this is actually a really wonderful place to create, especially independent work, you know, apart from the studios that are here. Um, and I think that there's also a bit of a, a misnomer about the type of work that comes out of here, the type of stories that people in the South want to tell. I think the South is often painted as a caricature, um, whether you're talking about the people that are here or the landscape of the South. And there's just so much more um, diversity in the stories and the type of voices that have come out of the South and are still making content here. And I think that the stories are very interesting. So I find that to be a, a fun educational experience that we often get to participate in as a production company is in inviting people in and saying, it's all good. We have all these resources. We have above the line creatives. They live here, they work here. And, you know, they're, it's more than just like, you know, you know, the Daisy, the Dukes of Hazard type of people. You know what I mean? So that's what I would remark on that. Any, anyone else? Tiffany, Ebony? Tiffany, you want to go? I mean, I, I, it would just be to echo everything that Erica said. Dukes of Hazards came to mind immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I think, uh, yeah, like I think the South is associated with a lot of types of art that aren't film, right? There's a lot of, um, you know, sort of craft work that is done here. Um, mm -hmm. And and that is all well and lovely, but the idea that like we're on the cutting edge of anything, right? That we use technology to create things is, is sort of, uh, you know, that sounds mythical to people who live in these big urban areas. But I'm like, no, it's true, right? Like, I've I've shot on a red, and like, you know, it, it doesn't fall apart when it passes the Mason Dixon line. But it's okay. <laughs> So, well, I love yeah. how Movie Maker Magazine named Atlanta and Wilmington best places to live and work as a filmmaker oh, yeah. this year. I was like, hey, that's what we're here. Yeah, we're here. Here we are. All of us right here. We're, the we're all here living. We're literally all here living and working. So <laughs> oh, speaking of living and working in the film industry or in the indie film industry, um, I wanted to ask just because I'm a little bit curious on what an actual like day to day would be like for each of you in the like form that your project is in currently. I know that some of us are in pre production, some of us are in production, and some of us are in post production. So I wanted to start by asking Kate and Tiffany to maybe talk a little bit about like what's the day to day like for an indie filmmaker who's in pre production. Kate, you want to start? Um, yeah, I mean, for, well, for Tiffany's film Keepsake, I'm, I'm coming on as marketing producer. So a, a lot of that is um, scheduling posts, trying to sound quippy online, uh, things like that, um, which, you know, um, is, is a crazy job. Like I, marketing is so hard. And it, it, that's one thing that I think as an artist is just like, like, uh, or like any small business owner is just kind of an unfair burden on everyone. It's like, oh, so I have to be good at this craft, but then I also have to be really good at marketing myself. Um, mm -hmm. And it really is, you're doing the job of like two or three people. Um, but then for my film, uh, which is a, a documentary about um, women trans and non-binary cinematographers and this exploration of stock photography of how we present women in media. Um, it's a kind of comedic documentary. <laughs> um, it, uh, for that right now, I'm in the process of applying to grants. Um, and so, uh, you know, being part of a university that helps. Um, I just applied to a couple of internal grants here at UNCW, but I also look to 
um, you know, Southern Documentary Fund is a really great resource uh, that I highly recommend for anyone, um, both from an education standpoint and from the standpoint of, of they have really great grants. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of applying to grants um, and then building pitch decks right now. Um, and then after that, it's going to turn into figuring out what gear and, you know, um, how much film I can get away with shooting and, and kind of uh, everything like that. So um, I'll uh, kick it to Tiffany to talk about Keepsake because I know you have a lot more to say about Keepsake. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. And it's it's interesting too, right? Like I, I bet that this is the case for everybody. Um that there are multiple projects, right? Like uh, Christy and Erica have talked about this, Kate just talked about this. So I'm also uh, sort of stirring a few pots. So it's not that every day I'm working on this feature, which is sort of the biggest thing, um, but because it's not my full-time job, right? And and nobody's paying me a full-time salary to do that. You've got to sort of sneak the other things in there too. Um, but, but for keepsake, at least the day-to-day -day right now is sort of in a fun place. We've got a shooting script and we're moving into... Um, the the ramp up of pre-production for a shoot that we're doing over Memorial Day weekend, um, which are some flashbacks that we'll sprinkle in throughout the longer production, which isn't happening until 2023. Um, and so we're doing the production design meetings and I'm meeting with my cinematographer and my sound team um, in all of these separate little meetings where we're, we're dreaming, right? First, that's the fun part. And then you're like, oh, I, we probably don't have the money for that, or we really don't have the time for that, right? So I like to start sort of in the sky. And then um, as we move forward over the next couple of weeks, we'll be calling that down um, so that we can have something manageable to wrap our hands around in uh, about six weeks, I guess. Um, and then we're going to be doing that same process on a larger scale for the rest of the film, right? So moving into to casting, which is always fun and exciting. I've been working on those breakdowns and we'll start sending them out in a couple of weeks. Um, and so it's it's all of the the little pieces that make up a film, right? Like it is sort of, uh, Kate said, starting a company. Uh, Honeyhead can certainly talk about this, right? Like every production is like a mini company that you have to start and you have mm -hmm. to keep all of those balls going. So it's, it's never a shortage of things to do. Um, and day to day, I don't ever know what's going to pop up. Like yesterday, my uh, assistant uh, director was uh, location scouting and sending me pictures. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, didn't know that was going to happen at all, but she just happened to be there. So yeah, always, always something fun and exciting happening. Tiffany, I feel like we're in the same world. I know we're kind of like in the production block of this chat, but truly like we're, we don't start shooting till May. So we're really hey. as well. Um, today was nuts. We had, we had a casting session. We had a meeting with our wardrobe supervisor. We were looking at mood boards. We interviewed some PAs. We have our interns in office that are production office assistants for Imogene on Wednesdays. Imogene's like, or Wednesday's like our Imogene movie day. So we get to focus fully on the feature. We pause all work for our company and we just spend a solid eight hours together. Erica was like toggling between, so I mean, she was on the Zoom call with our composer in Denver. I feel like we we like got an insurance quote out. We did so many random things today, but it's like every Wednesday we just stack it full of any and everything you can think of. And like I had to leave a little early. I was like, I need to compose myself before this really cool collective <laughs> chat. So I like left the intern to be like labeling scripts and things like that. But mm -hmm. Erica, what do you want to tack on? Like it's the most exciting feeling to actually be in this phase of production, I feel. Yeah, I think being, you know, I think that it's a labor of love and it has been for, for quite some time for us, this film. Um, I finished 
a first draft of the feature length strip script. This is based off of a short film, um, but the feature length script was first completed in its original form in 2020, of April 2020, so about two years ago. So it's been kind of this labor of love and rewrites and pitching. And so being, you know, being able to enter pre-production in earnest being greenlit is, is a really wonderful feeling. And I think it's new for us because we've just been moving forward in faith and like, you know, our crew has been with us and they're interested and our department heads have been, you know, along for the ride, but it's really wonderful to be able to, you know, offer your crew, you know, a deal memo at the end of the month and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really having to be, we say it's like, it's real, you know, when a project is funded at Honeyhead, we're like, that's real now. So we'll just like, you know, it's coming, it's coming out of the theoretical world and moving into the tangible world. So that always feels really great. What about you, Ebony? You're you're working. You're in post production on Jordan. I finished post. Thank God. I oh, look at you! It's really real now. Congrats. I finally got out of post. Um, I'm in the festival uh, submissions right now, so I'm submitting to the festivals. My stomach is in knots every day. You know how that goes. Um, but while I'm doing that, I'm currently finishing up a feature uh, script. Um, so working on the next phase of just. To y'all's point, stacking up and you know growing the work. Um, I love short films. Don't want to do it my whole life though. Uh, <laughs> so I definitely want to get a feature under my belt, and I'm working on a documentary too. So my my question is for for those of you all that are working like the muggle job, right? The day to day, the job that pays the bills, while we also work on the independent things how how do you separate that work and how do you juggle it in the day-to-day -day needs of being the indie filmmaker because a lot of times like the normal job is completely different or it takes up a lot of energy so how do you maintain the balance in your day-to-day -day? i love that you called it a muggle job it's, i know right <laughs> it's kind of like hats off Anna Ray. It's <laughs> um i i can't totally speak to it. I'm going to let somebody else lead it, but I'll just say that like at Honeyhead, we do have to do brand work, client work, commercial work. And while we are usually working on film or media, you know, photography and things, it still is a toggle. You still have to like be able, what we do is just pick a day of the week. And it's like, this is religiously imaging and we're not going to do anything, not going to take meetings. It's like all about the movie so that you can do that horse race with your projects um, but if anybody wants to go back down memory lane, I got some muggle jobs that we can talk about. But I'll let somebody <laughs> take it from here. I was going to say, like, I, I don't have too many peers, honestly, who aren't kind of in between worlds and uh, working both sides of it. Um, I think the thing that roots me is understanding that to be a happy filmmaker, I have to be a fed filmmaker. Um, I really like a certain type of soap. I like a certain type of shampoo. <laughs> I have to use a certain type of fabric softener. It's just like certain shit that matters to me at this point. Um, and I was at a point, I'm in my 30s now, and I was at a point when I was younger where it would kind of like sacrifice food for the art. I don't advise it. Um, totally don't advise that to anyone. I think that for me, it's about making sure that my stability and the, the home that I embody as my physical body as well, that is supported, um, especially, you know, being... Uh, um, I don't want to say marginalized folks, but not being a white cis man. 
sometimes just like going through this world, it's hard. And so you're just up against a lot of things that try on your body. And I think the most that you can be fortified in the body and in the mental space, um, you get to produce the most art. So in saying that, you might have to work some, some jobs at Pizza Hut. If you're like me, I worked at Girl Scouts in Greater Atlanta for like so many years. Um, but I got like so many good stories out of it. So that's it's twofold there. Um, and then you take a leap of faith if you're fortunate, if you have the, the, the privilege to do so, to be honest with you. Um, and then from there, I think I just made myself say that I'm going to do film. So now I teach um, non-traditional students um, filmmaking. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. It makes me feel like I'm still in the vein of the work while, you know, fortifying the next filmmakers. Yeah. I think like to add on that, I, um, I mean, I, I really think, uh, being fed and having like being taken care of, like I, there's such this idea of you have to suffer for your art. I have a disability that I have to take medication for. And if I don't have insurance, it's really expensive. Um, so there was just no way I was going to, um, kind of stay freelance and, and kind of in the in the indie world. Um, of course, you know, you can join unions and, and do all of that. But I, I realized after in, in my 20s, like early 20s, particularly um, after about five years working on film set, I realized um, I was like, I'm spending all this time working in film and not actually making like the film in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, you know, I, I wanted to be more than a camera assistant. I didn't want to be broke. I, you know, like all of these things, I was like, I would rather take the nine to five job and, you know, be a like weekend filmmaker. Um, because that to me, um, you know, it, it may not sound as sexy as like, you know, being the starving artist, but that I was happier doing that. Um, and even before, uh, teaching at UNCW, I was, I was working at a tech job. <laughs> um, so, and I probably still would be working at a tech job if I, I wasn't at UNCW. Um, but I do think uh, teaching does provide an interesting kind of avenue. And again, if you're if you're lucky, because um, uh, you know ac jobs in academia are, are not always easy to come by. Um, but uh, having an institution to kind of back you in your work um, has really helped me a lot. Um, and so I feel like I found this like little bit of a loophole. But um, yeah, uh, like Christy Ray, I could definitely go down the, the memory lane of, of muggle jobs because there were a lot. <laughs> I'll just tack on, Kate, that I think it's really cool because some of our interns are your students and they're female students and they talk about how cool you are and how awesome it is to be inspired by a female cinematographer. So your representation at UNCW is really important even to us. So like as the working production company that's going to hire your students when they graduate, it means a lot that you're a female cinematography professor. And I just think the ripple effects are really special. So I love that you fell into a job that can support everything that you need, but is also supporting this community. I think that's really cool. I'm so glad they think I'm cool. Like that's gonna make me crazy. <laughs> I told them about this and they're like, oh, Kate's gonna be there. I was like, yeah, like, hello, come on, join. <laughs> that's awesome. What about you, Tiffany? So my day job is in nonprofits. Um, and that is another sector that I really love. Um, and so for a, a long time, like like many people have already said, I, I, I was sort of like burning the candle from both ends and was just like totally exhausted. I think it was a combination of like hitting my 30s maybe, but also having a child um, that made me be like, 
oh, I am doing this wrong, right? Like there is no sense of balance in my life at all. Um, and so one of the super critical things to my creative development was having to leave an organization that I actually really loved, but that was taking too much from me, right? Like it was not sustainable to do that and have my family and make films. Like I just physically could not do it. Um, so I, I moved to another nonprofit that demanded less of me and, and then like became very fierce at protecting that creative time, much in the way that uh, Christy and Eric are talking about like Wednesdays. Yeah. I've got my schedule set up so that like Mondays are film days for me. Um, and, and I try really hard to, to keep that space protected and to treat it, you know, with the same level of importance that I treat my day job that gives me insurance and, uh, you know, pays my mortgage, but, um, hopefully someday we'll, we'll find a, uh, you know, a situation that just lets me do that from film. <laughs> I think that's the situation a lot of us are looking for, for sure. Right. So one thing I'm very interested in is funding, because that's something that I personally, as a filmmaker, have not like dabbled in very much. I know that a lot of us have either completed a seed and spark, oh my gosh, seed and spark campaign, or we're getting ready to start a seed and spark campaign. So Ebony, Christy, and Erica, since you guys have like already gone through the bases, do you have any like, I'm not going to say tips and tricks or whatever. What I would rather ask is, is there anything that you guys would have done differently that you think would have had a better outcome? Or do you think that the things that you did were exactly what you needed for your particular Seed and Spark campaign? And how did you decide to do those particular things? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I think Christy and I were preparing for our Seed and Spark campaign before we even knew we were. Um, so, so that's an interest i i'm very proud of how the campaign turned out personally um but i think that it would if we hadn't been building the community we were building just by kind of being authentically ourselves and kind of i wouldn't say breaking the rules but doing our own thing in a way um and telling stories for the sake of telling them and kind of just not waiting for permission in order to make films um i think that in, inspired people and people were asking to donate to the film before there was a Seed and Spark campaign. That was sort of the genesis of the idea to, to crowdfund was the fact that people were asking how to contribute. Um, and we had a few friends of ours, Chris Everett, who's a wonderful documentary storyteller here in Wilmington, um, told us, I think like a year ago, I had like coffee with him and he was like, you need to do a Kickstarter or something. He's like, y'all just need to do that. And I was like, Chris, I don't know if we're built for that, you know, but Turns out it worked out. So um, I don't know, Christy, maybe you have some thoughts and reflections, but I think that if we hadn't had this, this community to begin with, a lot of times I see people uh, starting out um, just as like a single person even, and that can be very grueling. Um, so I definitely think there's a lot of things I would say we avoided without realizing we were avoiding them, um, you know, by being this kind of dynamic duo and building a team around ourselves um, before we even started and building a platform that would allow for a crowdfunding campaign, um, I think would, were some things that other filmmakers might not think to do or might not think to start thinking about their crowdfunding campaign like a year or two before they actually wanna do it. Yeah, Bloom, I think this is a great question. Honestly, it, it kind of like stumped me. I was like, what would I do different? Because it was obviously really successful. We raised more than we tried to. And 
it was awesome. I was exhausted. I was the campaign manager, but I feel like we did a great job. And I'm, I, I agree with everything Erica said. Um, I, we also recorded a podcast episode where we, we go way in depth for like an hour about everything she's talking about, like building the audience and the things that we feel like we did that made it really um, dynamic and like a community effort and not like all about me, 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 because it can just feel so weird doing something like that. And I thought of what I would change to be totally honest. And this is not throwing shade on seed and spark, but they talked me down from a higher goal mm -hmm. and they were like, Whoa, uh, you want to raise 80,000? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, um, no, you, you, in order to raise 80,000, you need 4,000 people in your email database. You need 16,000 followers. They had all of these like things that were and wrong. Like, and I had to, they wouldn't, it wasn't like, I didn't like push them, push them, but they made me like change my number to 50K. And I wish I had kept it at 80 because we raised 75 and I'm like, dang, I think we could have, I think we could have done that, but it's all good. Like it all worked out fine, but I felt like, a week before we wrapped, you know, we had already hit our goal. I was like, dang, I feel like I got led astray a bit because they kind of underestimated what I knew we were going to bring to the table, which was not just like people who cared about our film. It was like the Wilmington community that wanted to see another feature be made and it didn't have to be imaging. It just was like, let's rally because this is happening here. So to be honest, if I could have gone back in time, I maybe would have had a little bit more confidence and said, no, I would have like pushed a little harder and said, I think we can do this. I think that's something that a lot of people that identify as women um, or who are like born as women don't identify as a woman anymore. That's something that we all struggle with. I feel like is that confidence to be like, oh, I can actually reach this goal. Yeah. I and think it's important that you talked about that. Yeah. It's a good question because I, I wouldn't have thought about it otherwise. Ebony, I'm curious how your campaign went and how you feel about all of this. Oh God. Um, it, I'm just now getting my edges back. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was it was hard. It was super hard. Um, to be very honest with you, uh, crowdfunding is something like probably a lot of folks, I don't like doing it. Um, I, I don't want to do it again, <laughs> to be very honest. Um, I had to be pushed into doing it. Uh, one of my producers had to let me know, like, girl, you, you've done enough work. You've built enough community in Atlanta. Um, the folks are going to show up for you. Um, I think on my end, of course, like the asking for money thing is always difficult, um, especially in certain precarious times such as these, because it's like make art, survive the world, huh, you know? Um, but I think two things can be true, right? To survive the world, we make art. Um, once I got past some of the, 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 I guess barriers of just asking for it and be willing to receive it. I had already, to your point, done a lot of the work um, as far as a community and just kind of organizing already. Um, I would say a bit of advice before I talk about what I would do different for everyone is to really be honest with yourself about the community that you are a part of and that you've watered. Um, I think to show up with a crowdfunding campaign of a certain amount or just any amount, to be honest with you, I want people to pour it, pour into you. Um, and they haven't seen you at local film nights. <laughs> they haven't seen you support their things. It's going to be hard. Um, when other people have crowdfunding campaigns, I pour into theirs. Um, and so it's just kind of one of those twofold things where you give a little to receive a little um, and you hopefully do it with good intentions. 
don't do it alone. Um, I was fortunate that I had uh, a great friend of mine who's also an actor. Um, and I knew she was smart. I knew she was brilliant. Um, and I should say they, sorry to change their pronouns. I knew they were brilliant. And I asked them, I said, can you help me? Can you be here for me? And they were like, we're going to do it. So I could have not done it without support. I, I don't think anyone should do it without like a dynamic duo, duo or more people. Um, and just be ready, you know, be ready to get creative with getting people um, invigorated about your campaign and, and be ready to, um, I think just rally the masses, which is something that if you're like me, I don't necessarily, I'm not the person who works the room all the time. I kind of just like to sit back. So it taught me about working the room virtually more. Do you think the Southern kind of mindset around community affected your crowdfunding campaigns, both both Ebony and Christy, and like how Southerners, I guess, define community? Mm. Do you think that played any role in in how your campaigns went? Just out of curiosity. What I, do you all say? I yeah. think personally, the themes around imaging, people were just ready to see a movie about mm -hmm. the South. In addition to what you're saying, Anna Ray, I think that being in a small town, like being the big Biggish, mediumish fish in a in a like an area, a region. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's great, and we talk about that on the podcast too. We didn't try to run this campaign in New York. We weren't one mm -hmm. of you know fifteen films crowdfunding in in North Carolina. If you go on Seed and Spark and you look at films near me, it's like a really cool movie in Charlotte, a movie in Asheville, and then Imaging. It was like three films in North Carolina, so you can stand out in that way. And I would recommend being in a smaller community to try to, to make a name for yourself in that way. Yeah, I feel like small communities like to support projects that they feel attached to, or they like know you personally. So I, I do feel lucky that we, we made this first feature film of ours with the support of this community. And I do think that they, uh, so many people reached out about the themes and, you know, these kind of breaking these, these generational cycles that we explore in the film and people identify with that, whether they were from the South or, or elsewhere, it's just this sort of like small hometown, this like flight from a hometown feeling that the film explores people identified with, you know, across the board. Um, so I think that it really did behoove us to be fundraising in such a, um, intimate filmmaking community like Wilmington, um, where people could really get a, get behind the film. And, it, and we weren't, you know, they're not, people aren't always inundated with these types of campaigns all the time, you know, um, so the community can really rally behind them. And we, we, Ebony, I will let you talk, but we, we had a, like a graphic that I created. I'm trying to get used to this camera. It's like the map of the U.S. and like all the honey where, where people were contributing and it was all the Southeast. There was a, a good pocket in, in New York because we had a couple amazing stranger female filmmaker producers who found the campaign online and were like, I'm going to give you a grand. I'm going to give you a grand. I'm going to give you a grand. And we're like, what's happening? This is, who are you? You're amazing. But there was like two people in LA, like people just didn't connect with it. And that's okay. That's not our market. That's not our audience. We know it's a Southern story. And that was the core. It's like the honey exploded in 
from here to Atlanta, it was like you couldn't see the map because it was just all honey. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that probably sounds really random, but it was it was like visually a map for me. And it was very obvious where the people who were supporting and they also came from the Midwest because like Eric said, they were like, this is my story. I'm not Southern, but it's a small town and I get this. What about you, Ebony? I know Atlanta's a slightly larger market than Wilmington, yeah. and so I, I think one disadvantage about Atlanta is that it, it is kind of a more of a blooming market, if you will, in that sense. Um, and so it kind of can get the elbow room, if you will. It sometimes doesn't feel like it's a, as much as you would need to um, kind of shine light on one project. With that being said, I think for me, because my film tapped into, uh, in particular, um, Black Mermaids. Um, and, and folklore. I think we, we did two campaigns, one for production, one for post-production. Um, the second go around, we had to get like way more creative because I don't have as big as a financial community as one would perhaps need or even think I have. Um, and so I had to stretch a little bit beyond. And for me, I, I was very blessed. One of my dear friends, uh, she calls herself the Nat Minister. Uh, the Nat Bishop, I should say, and she has like a following of a whole bunch of people. Um, and I cried her, I cried her on my black girl tears. And I was just like, girl, I'm just having like the hardest time. Like what is going on? Um, it's, it's not moving. The second campaign is not moving and I don't know what to do. Like, and I um, mean, she was, girl, I got you like a black girl. And she reposted uh, the little snippet I did and $5 shoot in, $10 shoot in, 15, 20. And it was just the most beautiful thing ever. So I think sometimes just telling people what you need mm -hmm. will, will open up so much for you. And you don't know who can help you. Like, I, I didn't know that she could do that. And I, I didn't want her to use her platform in that way. But I think sometimes if we just kind of loosen it up and just allow ourselves to tell people, hey, I need help, yeah. you'll be amazed who you're connected to or who they're connected to. That's great. That's really very true. Yeah. Um, I know Kate and Tiffany, community shows up differently for you guys right now just because of the, the space that you're in in production. Um, how do you think Southern Community has like helped you with the pre-production process thus far? Sure. I mean, I think all all of my filmmaking is is really just like attributed to like the strength of the community that I have built around me, right? Like there are very few types of films you can make on your own entirely. A narrative really isn't one of them. <laughs> so I I think I, I wouldn't be making my second feature if I hadn't had people that I could call upon to make a bunch of really, um, at first, terrible short films. Um, and then some, some lovely short films that I'm really proud of too, but building um, not just my skills, right? But, but building those people right because i'm i'm also to a point in my filmmaking where i don't i don't want to make films with people i don't know anymore right mm -hmm. like you you have to invest so much time and energy into to being on a set that i just want to do it with people who make me feel good right and who i want to go and be around and not people um who are like competitive or um, just bring like a negative energy to that process, right? Because I've done a ton of that type of filmmaking and it's just not fun. That's not the part that I like. So getting to build up the team that we're bringing on to Keepsake has been so amazing. Like every single person 
I unequivocally love who we have brought on board so far. And so that's the best feeling, right? Like knowing that every time I go into a meeting, I'm going to be talking to somebody who is a friend um, and somebody who is uh, creative in a way that like inspires my creativity. So it just makes the whole process amazing. And then when I'm struggling and I don't want to bring down my team, I've got a whole community of writers and other filmmakers that I've found in Greensboro just by yeah, screening their work and giving them notes on their films. Um, and I can go and talk to them and be like, y'all, I'm feeling really insecure about <laughs> myself as a filmmaker right now. And they can lift me up too. So like having having community in all of these different ways. And, and I think that was what Lunar Kitchen grew out of uh, for us, right? Like wanting to to just formalize community uh, around a group of people who who really seem to creatively get each other. Yeah, I mean, I think community is everything, right? Like, I and I mean, last week I went to shoot film with a friend in Maine who I met online and I never met in real life. But it was like when you kind of like find that you just like find these twin flames kind of like all over the place. Um, it's it's really beautiful. And, and I think uh, like I, I donated to both Honeyhead and Jordan. And I, I think like I was just so excited to see that work. And I, I do think like if, if you want to like get it back you do have to like build community and, and from an earnest place too um like I, I very earnestly am like a cheerleader for for all of my friends and people I meet and um yeah it, it's um it's just amazing and even even if you can't like financially support Stephen Sparks you know you can like follow the campaigns and that also like financially helps out with like um their uh, incentives which you can see on their site so even like strangers I'll just like go and like kind of follow their <laughs> campaigns too so and what a great way to meet new people. I know that I met Tiffany and Kate through the crowdfunding and there's been, I mean, crew members that we've already hired for the film. We met through the campaign. It's been really amazing. It's like a community building. If you, if you take the money out of it and you think truly like what they say on Seed and Spark, you're building an audience for your career. You're building a community for yourself as a filmmaker. And you think about it like that you change your perspective. That's my biggest takeaway is like, you're not asking for money. You're actually just getting people excited about what you're doing and you're building a community and it takes the pressure off. And it's like, I don't know, I'll, I'll give a little tip, just like stack your, uh, your wish list with, yeah. you know, you can get, and then you're going to be fine. If you like, don't get your financial goal, just call in a favor and be like, yo, honey, hey, can I borrow your camera? And we'll be like, cha-ching, there's eight grand for you. Like, you know, just like, hook your homies up. There's like a back door. And just in case, if you're feeling scared, like you're building community, you got this. Yeah, for sure. And your campaign is a marketing tool as well. I know it was a great marketing tool for us. I mean, it's more than, it's more than just funding your film. I mean, we were able to, to get interest from, you know, prospective investors through the campaign and use it as a yes. And that's what I would say to people is like, try to try to use your campaign as a yes. And to this, like, and say, okay, we're going to run this campaign. We're going to use the campaign, you know, in tandem with approaching potential outside investment, if that's something that you also need for your project, um, which is, which was our case, you know, so, and it, and it, they worked symbiotically in a really beautiful way that has allowed us to, to move into production this summer. Great. Um, so I think we are very close to wrapping. I wanted to end the night by, um, just like saying thank you to everybody 
and to remind everybody here and also everybody in the audience that we are a community. If anybody is interested in reaching out to us, absolutely, we will try to talk to you as much as we possibly can. It's very important to all of us to be supporting people like us in this industry or even not in this industry and in just the indie filmmaking sphere and just as women and non-binary people. I think it's incredibly important. So I wanted to thank y'all so much for such a good conversation. This has really been eye-opening for me just where I'm at right now in my career. So thank you all so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yes, and again, special thanks to Black Magic Wilmington chapter. Um, if you guys are interested in, again, joining some more community, if you're in Wilmington, join the Wilmington Black Magic chapter. Get Go see Kate, all that fun stuff. So we appreciate everybody for being here and everybody have a good night. You've been listening to the Black Magic Collective Podcast. If you're having fun talking tech and the biz with us, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please leave reviews as it helps others find the show so we can keep making great content for you. We're also on all of your favorite podcast apps, as well as YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please visit blackmagiccollective.com to join and be part of the filmmaker community. All of our events and programs are free to filmmakers thanks to our presenting sponsor, Black Magic Design.